Today we're going to see that United Kingdom divide into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel, and what goes on with all that. But before we get started, last week I, I said, well, it looked like maybe the only thing in the, in the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament we saw were the tab tablets of the law, but Sally corrected me. By the end of the class, she'd already found. Here's, here's talking about, it's, it's not spelled out as clearly as we'd like, maybe. But it talks about the, the this is Aaron's rod that budded. And, and God says to Moses, put the staff of Aaron before, before the covenant or before the testimony, which probably refers to the tablets of the law. And says, so that the, uh, you may make complaints against me, you know, so as a warning. So he, won't, he tells there in Numbers to put the rod there. And then if we go to Exodus, uh, we see that the manna, the same language, take a jar, uh, put an omer of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout the generations. So Aaron placed it before the covenant or before the testimony for safekeeping. So Sally caught me. Uh, you guys, everybody else needs to do that. Keep me, keep me honest. All right. So let's what move that, on. I wonder what that looked like in there, the manna. You know, it's spoiled every, every day. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's known as a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> he said it was in it was in a jar so I don't know if it was a like a ball jar all sealed up can but anyway it was there so we're going to see Solomon's reign is ending now Solomon's old he's he served his time as king and we're going to see the change but before that happens we have this Jeroboam shows up and he's not a descendant of Solomon. He's not part of the family, but he is a servant who's, who's well-placed, uh, apparently very capable. So, Saul, Solomon sees how hard he works, and he was placed over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. So he's, he's given a position of responsibility and power. Uh, we'll talk more. You know, we talked about forced labor last week. Remember when they were building the temple? He had one month to go up in Lebanon and cut wood, and then two months at home. Three, and they kept him rotating all the time. So he starts a rebellion against Solomon, and uh, doesn't go. It's not going to go well. But after he starts this rebellion, he meets the prophet Ahijah. We'll see Ahijah again later. He meets him in open country, and, and, and as the prophets, all you know, a lot of times the prophets, you know, we think of always prophesying, but they also they like visual aids. Uh, you know, we'll talk later about uh, one of one of Ahab's prophets, who, and when he won't, you know, they ask him if he's going to conquer. He gets a pair of like bull's horns and puts them on his head and says, "You're going to be just like a raging bull. You're going to, you know, tear him up." So, and so, Ahijah though, as as his illustration. He's got a new, a new garment, brand new garment apparently, but he takes it and tears it into 12 pieces. And he says, okay, take 10 pieces for yourself. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, say, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon. I'll give you 10 tribes. One tribe will remain his for the sake of my servant David and the sake of Jerusalem, the city I've chosen for the tribes of Israel. The first thing you notice about that is what? The math doesn't work out, <laughs> you know. So maybe Ahijah kept one, but but it's interesting to see because he's he's promising only one tribe for Judah, 
And uh, the tribe that's, that's not included in Judah is Benjamin. And it's very possible that Benjamin uh, is left out here because they may have had divided loyalties. Remember our old friend Saul, he was a Benjamite. And, you know, the, the kingdom was taken away from him and given to David. David moved to Jerusalem. So the Benjamites may have had some resentment remaining against David and against Jerusalem. So they may have had divided loyalties. Eventually they're going to be counted among, the, you know, along with Judah. But at this point, uh, there are other, other theories as well. But I'm going to go with this one, that maybe Benjamin was divided. They had divided loyalties. They couldn't decide whether they wanted to stay with Israel or Judah. So they're just not counted. And so, they, you know, Judah's probably... The line of David is only promised the one tribe of Judah. Well, I, I just want to kind of toss out one yeah. potential theory that I'm just thinking of on the spot. Yeah. In line with this, Benjamin wasn't born yet when Joseph got the new garment of many colors, which is the catalyst that drove the whole ten brothers to turn against right. the one. That's, oh, I'm just thinking yeah. That. That's, that's, I hadn't thought about that. That's possible, yeah. That Benjamin you know, also, was. Benjamin was more, uh, real loyal to the. I mean, the temple guards had to be Benjamin. Right. And, uh, I just wondered if that happened. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they're not mentioned here. Uh, I said eventually they're going to be part of Judah, but at this point, for some reason, they're not mentioned. And, and, and it's obvious. I mean, we have to believe that Ahijah could add. But uh, anyway, he only mentions one as being certain right now. Okay. So why, why, you know, why is the kingdom going to be divided anyway? Well, because this is, again, Ahijah speaking to Jeroboam. Because he has forsaken me. Solomon has turned his back on God. He has worshipped Astarte, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, not walking my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keeping my statutes and my ordinances as Father David did. So basically, God's message to Jeroboam is, I'm going to rip this thing away from Solomon and from his house because he's, he's been a terrible king. He's turned his back on me. Remember we talked about last week how his foreign wives influenced him, drew him away. But why, is he, well, why didn't he just take all of it away from Solomon? Why didn't he take the whole thing? And here, you know, God is faithful to his promises. Notice, he says, you know, he's been terrible, but I promise David. I will not take it, but will make him real all the day for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose and who kept my commandments and my statues. He says, so I will, to his son I will give one tribe so that my servant David may always have a lamp me in Jerusalem, the city I've chosen to put my name. So he says, David, I made a promise to David that, and I, I allowed him to build the, I allowed him and Solomon to put my name in Jerusalem, to build a temple there. And that's significant. So God says, even though Solomon's been, been a terrible king, I'm going to keep my promise. So, and this is interesting because it was to me anyway, I always think of Jeroboam as this breakaway leader and, and as Israel as a breakaway kingdom. But 
But God's original plan, look, he says, if you listen and do what is right in my sight, keeping my commandments, statutes and commandments, I will be with you and will build you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. You know, it, it's not like Israel is doomed from day one to, to be scattered to the winds. God, God's will for them, if they'll follow him, is that they become a great kingdom. You know, there's the potential here for, you know, for this to be the great kingdom that we would look to today and study and, and revere like we do Judah. But, he's, but it's, it's all conditional. If you're going to be God's people, you've got to follow him and do what he says. As we're going to see, things don't start off well with Jeroboam. So that's, that's God's promise. Again, I'll, I'll help you. I'll make you my people in a, long, a lasting house. So anyway, so what does Solomon do about this? Remember, Solomon's still around. Jeroboam's rebelling. Well, he, he's going to try to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam gets smart and says, you know, there's no future for me here as long as Solomon's alive. So he flees to Egypt and gets pre protection from Shishak, who, if you, if you look in the Egyptian literature, this is probably the pharaoh that the Egyptians call Shoshank I. Okay? And so Jeroboam is accepted there. He gets uh, protection. Solomon passes away. So, and so back in Europe, in Europe, in Israel, we need a new king. So Solomon's son is Rehoboam is there. And uh, sort of on the side, he's, he's crowned in the, in the city of Shechem. Shechem was sort of the central capital for Israel before Jerusalem. And it's interesting, it says all Israel met in Shechem to crown him king. So even though David had moved the capital to Jerusalem, there were still a lot of people who felt loyalties to Shechem, apparently. So that's where he was crowned. Jeroboam sees that Solomon's dead, so there's an opportunity for him, and he's had this, this prophetic uh, pro proclamation that he's going to get ten tribes. So he returns. And the statement I find interesting, you know, my, your first, my first inclination is Jeroboam's going to come and start another rebellion. But he doesn't. He actually approaches Rehoboam and says, Look, your father made our yoke heavy. Now lighten the hard service from your father and the heavy yoke that he placed on us, and we will serve you. Jeroboam comes with compromise. He, he said, You know, we don't, we don't want to rip this thing apart, but you know, imagine if, if the government took all of everyone in this room and one month out of every three had us go somewhere and do government work. It's not a, it's not a very good, desirable life. And Jeroboam says, back off on a little this, on that a little bit, and, and we'll, be, we'll serve you. You know, we don't have to have this rebellion. You know, we, but we just need some, some relief from, from this forced labor, which again, as Hilton pointed out last week, they should have known was coming because Samuel, remember saw our first lesson, Samuel said, oh, you want a king? Let me tell you what he's going to do. And he, he gives all these things the king's going to do. He said, oh, we want a king. We don't mind. So here's Rehoboam. He's the king. He said, well, give me three days to, to think about this and I'll make a decision. So and I think most of us remember this old story. He goes to the old men and he goes to all his buddies. The old men 
And speaking as an old man, man, I like this. <laughs> said, that's one who is one. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I would, I would have been up here, guys. So he says, if you'll be a, and I like his language, you will be a servant to this people today. Remember, they're not, don't treat them as your servants. You're their servant. But he said, if you'll be a servant and speak good words to them, when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. You have an opportunity here. We need to lighten the load. The, pe the people are willing, but we, you know, we need to do the right thing. We need to realize, it's, and I, again, I love the wordplay. He says, if you'll be a servant, they'll be your servants forever. So, but then, Rib goes to all these buddies, and they say, yeah, this is what, yeah. This is what you need to tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. There, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplines you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And we all know the story. He listened to his young buddies, his posse. Not a good decision. Now, why did he listen to them? The, uh, we're told that the king did not listen to people because the turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word. So God may have had some influence on this decision so that he's already determined that the kingdom's going to be taken away. So he influences Rehoboam to make this decision. Not a good one, but... So what does Israel do? <laughs> and now we're starting, to, we're going to see Israel spoken about and Judah spoken about, not just, I think at this point, we stop seeing Israel as a united kingdom. So, I say, what share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look to your own house, O David. And I tried to look and see if there's, I may be overstating this, but it's interesting uh, that for David, David has a house, but Israel has tents. They're, they're, you know, David has built this, Solomon built this huge house probably to rival the temple in, in Jerusalem. So he said, you, you go to your fancy house, Rehoboam, the house that Solomon and David built. We'll go to our tents. We'll be okay. So here's Rehoboam in Shechem. He thinks, what am I going to do? Well, I said it was going to get tough. Let's get tough. Israel goes back to their tents. So King Rehoboam gets this guy, Adoram, Adoram, whatever you want, however we want to pronounce it. He's the taskmaster for all this forced labor. So he says, you need to go whip these guys into shape. They've run off. They're not going to take care of things. So he sends Adoram up there, and Israel promptly stones him. <laughs> Doesn't go too well. And what does Rehoboam do? <laughs> He hurriedly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. He said, well, things here in Shechem may be getting a little hot. So he, he heads back to Jerusalem where he's got protection, where he feels safe. So we sort of see right here the kingdom is now pretty much officially split. Uh, so Israel hears, meanwhile, Israel finds out that Jeroboam's back. Yeah, well, he's, let's, let's talk to Jeroboam. Because there, there's no one who followed the house of David except the tribe of Judah alone. Again, indicating that the Benjamites may have been split here. 
So he's, Jeroboam's back. He's made king of Israel. Rehoboam thinks, boy, we've, I better get ready for war. But the prophet Shemaiah comes and says, shall not fight against your own kindred, the people of Israel. Let everyone go home, for this thing is from me. In other words, your gripe is not, you know, don't, don't go fighting against Israelite against Israelite. But this, this is something I've done. This is not all Jeroboam's doing. Again, indicating that God is taking the king, you know, 80%, whatever 1012 says, he's taking that away from, Jeroboam, from Rehoboam. Again, it's, it's, it's pro- very likely today that I'm going to say Jeroboam when I'm in Rehoboam and Rehoboam when I'm in Jeroboam, so correct me. <laughs> okay, so Jeroboam is now established. We're not going to go to war. <coughs> so we want to keep... Uh, Rehob- Jeroboam immediately has a problem, though. Uh, worship... We haven't talked much about centralization of worship, but that's, that's a big concept in a lot of these books, is the idea that worship takes place in Jerusalem. <laughs> well, Jeroboam looks and he says, you know, if these people keep going down to Jerusalem to do their sacrifices in the temple, they're going to they're they're turn again to Rehoboam, and they're going to kill me. <laughs> so he says, you know, I have to do something. You know, it, again... If, if, they're, if they go down to Jerusalem, every time they want to give sacrifices, they're going to become indoctrinated. You know, certainly, Rehoboam is going to be trying to win them back, and he's probably going to. So he goes to his advisors, and he decides to make two calves of gold. He tells the people, Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And this very closely echoes what we hear when. Mount Sinai, when when the gold, when Aaron makes the golden calf, here are your gods who brought you up out of Israel, Egypt. I'm sorry. So again, the, the necessity of some politics. You know, if you Jeroboam feels threatened, so what's he going to do? He said, "I'm I'm going to redo things." Which, you know, he was promised. Yeah. Stand if he if would right. Obey the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you can see several things he does. He, pay, he takes these calves and he places them in Dan and Bethel. And the, what's the significance of those two cities? I hope I get right. Bethel's in the south, so for those people it's convenient, and Dan is way up north. So wherever you are, you've got a place you can go and worship, you offer sacrifices, and you don't have to go to Jerusalem. And we'll, we'll, we'll actually mention Tel Dan next week in something else. But anyway, so these, these are placed there. He also makes these high houses in high places for people to worship. And notice he appoints priests from among the people. Who are priests supposed to be? They're supposed to be from what? Levites or Aaron's descendants. So, but he, he just says, okay, you want to be a priest? We'll make you a priest. 
And he goes up to the altar he had made to Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month, in a month that he alone had devised. In other words, not only does he set new places of worship up, he sets up idols. He says, oh, I'm going to redo the religious calendar. You know, we're going to do things when I want to do them. So he perverts the worship. Uh, just as a note, this is, this is what probably was a high place, this circular deal here. It's kind of a platform. I used to think high places were all on top of a mountain, but turns out they made high places in the cities for worship. It was an, an, usually some kind of elevated platform where you'd go to worship a god. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the coming weeks. High places and poles and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, we've set up all this religious corruption and we're going to get a warning. And this is, uh, again, this is probably a story you heard in Sunday school. It's one of the most troubling stories for me in the Old Testament. Uh, this man from Judah, who we often call the young prophet, although the Bible never calls him the young prophet, but he deals with an old prophet. <laughs> so we kind of automatically call him. And I love it. He comes, he comes to Jeroboam and he gives his prophecy. He doesn't prophesy to Jeroboam. He prophesies the altar he built. He says, Oh, altar, altar, thus says the Lord. A son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he will sacrifice on you, altar, the priest of the high place who offer incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Uh, it's very interesting that he mentions Josiah by name. Uh, uh, the, the theories are that indeed this was a prophecy. The other theory is that this was written during Josiah's kingship and uh, someone went in and they said, well, we'll put old Josiah in here that he'll like this. Anyway, but Josiah's going to come. He, Josiah, Josiah will be the, probably the last king we study in this class. And one of the, He and Hezekiah, I think, stand out as sort of the two outstanding kings of, of Judah that I see along with David. Well, David is the United Kingdom, but of the, of the divided kingdoms, those, those would be the last two, Hezekiah and Josiah, two the, I think the greatest. Okay, so he, tell, he prophesies to the altar. Jeroboam doesn't like it. So he stretches his hand he's from the altar saying, seize him. But the hand he stretches out withers so that he can't pull it back. Uh, the people realize this is serious so they tear the altar down the ashes are poured out and uh, there at least the prophet has had some impact uh, and uh, the king is the king realizes what's going on and he says pray now in the favor of the Lord your God Jehovah and pray to me so that my hand be restored and a little surprisingly here the man of God does that and his hand is restored so he's He's restored. His health is restored. And I wish I could say he gets on the straight and narrow, but he doesn't. Anyway, but, but he's, he's been warned. And this, this, this is where we come to the, the sad part of the story for me. Is this young man, this young prophet, has done what God asked. He's been bold. He goes before, you know, he goes right to Jeroboam in his face. He's successful and he starts back. And the king says for you, oh, come home, you know, I will feed you, we'll wine and dine, I'm going to give you a present. The young prophet says, can't do that. He says, if you give me half your kingdom, I will not go in with you, nor will I eat food or drink, in, or, water, or drink water in this place 
Here's what God told me. You shall not eat food, drink water, or return by the way you came. So he says, I'm, you know, no way I'm eating here. So he returns. He's going to go, he's got to go uh, back a different route. So he sets off. And here we meet the old prophet who hears about this. And he invites, he meets the young prophet. And, and he says this. And I just, he says, I, I'm a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. Bring him back with you into your house so he may eat and drink water. And, and the young prophet, the man from Judah, accepts his invitation, uh, thinking that, well, if an angel came to this guy, it must be okay. But it's not. And after he leaves this old prophet, he's attacked and killed by a lion and left there his body standing by his donkey or lying on the ground by his donkey. Uh, and this is a sobering passage. Uh, and I think it hits us more uh, today than it would have a few hundred years ago. You know, we all we're in a, living a time when we're all sort of our own interpreters. And you know, I, I very strongly believe, and part of it's because I'm just that's the way I am, uh, that it's my responsibility to, to read this book, read the Bible, and understand it. And you know, I may, I, uh, Josh may come and say, "Well, no, that's not the way I see it," or Lauren over there, who's new Bible faculty at Lipscomb, may say, "No, no, that's, that's not the way it is." But I'm, I don't trust either one of them. <laughs> And part of that, part of that's, I mean, but I mean, part of this, I, I'm, for those of you who don't know, I was a chemist. I'm a chemist for 30 years, did R&D, and, and that's one of the first lessons when you're a scientist is you don't trust anybody or anything. You always check it. You always test it. And so, that, and so that's kind of the way I'm trained. And, you, and certainly this young prophet suffered from trusting this old prophet. Yes, yeah, so it's a it's a really sad story to me that this young man who's who's done such a great job is, but he's still capable of being deceived. So we need to listen to what God tells us, and again, in our day and time, it's our responsibility. The old prophet, though, does show remorse. He hears about this, and he goes out. He takes up the body and has it buried in his own tomb. And. Uh, and mourns, and he tells him, uh, it says, Alas, my brother. And then he goes to his sons and said, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. And uh, it's a sad thing. And again, I wonder what motivated the old prophet. You know, why did he do this? Did he think he was doing the right thing? Because he seems to be remorseful here. But for whatever reason, that young prophet chose to trust what a man said rather than what God said. Dangerous business. So, there's our old prophet. Okay, now what happens? And this, again, this is, I love the way the Scripture plays it. Even after this event, Jeroboam did not turn from the evil ways, but made priests for the high places from all, among all the people. Any who wanted to be priest, he consecrated. Anybody, you want to be a priest? No problem. So he makes anybody a priest. Uh, 
became sin to the house of Jeroboam so as to cut it off and destroy it from the face of the earth. This is going to be the end of his... You know, he was promised if he did what God said, he'd have a dynasty that would last. But he's... Because he's done this. Now, I realize that I'm probably too old to use the phrase throw shade. <laughs> uh, but anyway. So, this is Abijah that we're kind of skipping over. Abijah succeeds Rehoboam, but we're going to... Uh, but uh, Jeroboam's reign overlaps both of those but this is what Abijah says to him and now you think you can withstand the kingdom of Jehovah in the hand of the sons of David because you're a great multitude and have, and have with you the golden calves that Jeroboam made as gods for you have you not driven out the priests of the Lord the descendants of Aaron and the Levites and made priests yourselves like, like the peoples of other lands Whoever comes to be consecrated with a young bull or seven rams becomes a priest of what are no gods. So he says, you know, you've, you've driven out the real priests, the Levites, and you've let anybody who comes with, with, with money in their pocket, with you know, a ram, ram or young bull, you'll make them a priest. And I love the phrase, the phrase he uses at the end. He becomes a priest of what are no gods. You know, you're making them a priest, but they're 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 not a priest of anything. So, look, brief look at Abijah there. Now, and I was saying this this is where we get confusing. Today we have Abijah, who's the king of Judea or Judah. We have a Jeroboam has a son named Abijah, who falls ill. In order to find out what's going to happen to him, he sends his wife to the prophet Ahijah. So. Keeping up with the names is not easy. We have two Abijahs and an Ahijah. And, and you know, Jeroboam knows. It's always interesting, a lot of the, these older kings, when they want to know something, they, uh, as we'll see later on there, a lot of times they're going to have prophets that serve them and are their men. But when they really are pressed, they're going to go to a real prophet to find out what's going on. So he says, well... He says, we're going to go to hide you, but uh, disguise yourself so it will not be known you're the wife of Jeroboam. He says, no, I don't even know who you are because you know, he knows what I'm all about. And he says, go there, uh, take some cakes and honey and loaves, and he will tell you what happened to the child. And it sounds like a pretty good plan because Ahijah at this point in his life is pretty much blind, uh, but God lets him know what's com coming. So he comes in. And boy, talk about cutting loose on him. Look what Ahijah says. He says, I will bring evil on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free. And Israel will consume the house of Jeroboam just as one burns up dung until it's all gone. He says, he says no male of your household is going to survive. He says, if they're in the city, the dogs are going to eat them. And if they're out in the open country, uh, the birds of the air are going to eat them. He says, and he's, he says, when you, and he knows that they're here about that child. He says, when your feet enter the city, talking to Jeroboam's wife, the child shall die. But of all these males, he says, all Israel shall mourn him, bury him, for he alone among Jeroboam's family shall come to the grave. In other words, he's the only one who's going to get a decent burial of all Jeroboam's family. And says, also, the king, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, 
who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam even right now. So, you know, you're going to be like burn manure. That's your future. He goes on, uh, God will strike Israel like a reed. And this, this is the long-term prophecy. It says, Israel will be scattered beyond the Euphrates because they have made their sacred poles, provoking the Lord to anger. He will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam. So she goes back, she goes, comes to Tirzah, and she comes, when she steps into the house, the child dies. So, meanwhile, uh, we'll leave Jeroboam, go back to Rehoboam. He prepares for war with Israel. We talked about this. Shemaiah intervened. He fortifies cities. He starts a family. Not up to Solomon, but he does manage 18 wives and 60 concubines. So he's going on in there. And this is interesting. Remember what, what uh, we read just a while ago about Jeroboam had driven the Levites and the priests out? Levites left their common lands and their holdings. They left all their property, and they come back to Judah and Jerusalem. Why, why do you think they came back? Why did they leave all that stuff? These are God's priests in Israel, in North Israel, and they're going to come back to Judah. They, they saw what was going on. They says, you know, we, we can't be a part of this. Here's some, some people with enough backbone to send it. They said, this, what, what Jeroboam is doing to religion in North Israel is wrong. And, and we, I admire these, these folks because they say, we're not going to be a part of it. Uh, he's appointed his own priest and goat demons and calves that he had made. Says, uh, so they're going to leave, and, and I, this is this last statement significant. We'll talk. Says for three years they made Rehoboam the son of Solomon secure, for they walked three years in the way of David and Solomon. Uh, so Rehoboam, this is his early reign summarized, dealt widely, distributed his sons to all the districts of Judah and Benjamin, fortified cities, abundant provisions. So but, very what? Right, Benjamin, Benjamin is back now. At this point, I think th my, my assumption is things have kind of solidified and Benjamin is now with Judah. So, but what happens in Judah now? Judah did what's evil in the sight of the Lord. Set high places, pillars, sacred poles. We even have male temple prostitutes. Things are going downhill there with Rehoboam, it's not just Jeroboam. Okay, uh, God is going to judge him. Remember we talked about Shishak as the person Jeroboam went to for refuge. Uh, Shishak comes and he takes away the shields of gold that Solomon made, the treasures of the temple he takes away. Uh, and we're told that the shield, Rehoboam has bronze shields made to replace the gold. So God is going to punish him that way. Uh, so. Here's the recap of his reign, both in Kings and Chronicles. 41 years, he reigned 17 years. Uh, you know, a little more extensive in Kings. But basically the same thing. So let's look at real quick uh, comparison. Uh, Kings talks about Judah's lapse into idolatry. Chronicles does not bring this up, interesting enough. Uh, forget this first part about the looting. Uh, because they really, I look, I, after I started thinking about this, they both are pretty similar when they talked about 
the looting of the temple. But Jerusalem's not destroyed, notice. He's still described, but they describe Shishak's removal of all the treasures from the temple. And if, if, if you just, this may be too much of a generalization, but it seems like Rehoboam's bad in, chron, in King and Chronicles, but he's good. Excuse me, Kings, he's bad. Chronicles, he's good. But Chronicles, I think, even Chronicles gives us a hint. Remember, it said when he talks about these Levites, they walked for three years in the ways of David and Solomon, which I think is, is a way of saying it only last, the good times only lasted three years. Even though the bad times aren't dis- described, we are told that the good times only lasted three years, which is sort of a sideways way of saying that. Almost through, uh, this is, uh, they had Bubba's in Egypt, you didn't know that, but the Bubba portal, Karnak. It lists all Shishank's, Shawshank's conquest but Jerusalem's not listed. Again, indicating that, that the temple was not sacked, the city was spared, but as again we're told, all the, all the treasures were taken, but the city itself was spared. So, some lessons from today. Uh, old guys, are, sometimes old guys do know stuff. And, and you know, the, Jeroboam fell into this trap of, of Anything goes as long as we can keep the kingdom here. And I think we need, as, as modern churches, there's a temptation to say we need to we need to put backsides in these pews. Let's do what let's do whatever we can to attract people. And I don't want to get into all that, but it's it's a temptation. You just went there. What? You just went there. I, well, but I mean, if there's a lesson to be had from this, that's what it is. We need. You know, we, we need to adapt. We need to change with the times. You know, and I'll just, I say that as a guy who's my, my wife would say, does not believe a good religious song has been written in the last hundred years. Okay? I'm a curmudgeon, okay? But that's, that's just me. I don't, you know, I don't particularly have anything against it, just don't like it. But that's just, again, you don't get everything you, you want. Wish I could. If only more people had that <laughs> But you know, but you have to, but, but again, we have to be careful. I think this, this serves as a nice cautionary warning to say, you know, as we change, as we adapt, let's look. Let's at least take a look and think, okay? Uh, some more lessons. Uh, we're, we're almost done. I want to close. I ran across this this week. I, I told you I get the the field guide from Brentwood United Methodist every morning. And this was one of the scriptures in there this week. A prayer for the king. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people in the hills in his righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. And may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. We'll go on next week and talk about what I'm going to call interim kings. <laughs>